It is Monday, the 21st of August. Let's begin together in prayer in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. To your name, O Lord, be all honor and glory. Father of all, we praise your oneness and truth. May our lives mirror our words as we pray. Creator of all that is visible and invisible, we join the angels and saints in their unending hymn of praise. May we lift our hearts to you as we raise our voices in prayer. Giver of all good gifts, we celebrate the memory of Christ, your Son. May we be formed in ever deeper faith as we honor you. God of majesty and glory, we give you thanks for your presence in our midst as we gather day by day to praise your holy name. Through the intercession of Pope St. Pius X, may we worship you always in spirit and in truth as we seek to grow into one in Jesus Christ, your Son and our Lord, in whose name we make our prayer. Amen. Pope St. Pius X, pray for us. It is his feast today. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thanks for being along here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. We will take a look at this week in Catholic history with Kevin Schmeezing here in just a little bit after the news. Dr. Jared Stout along as well. We'll catch up with Father Patrick Briscoe, and uh, he has some thoughts on the recent viral song uh, that is expressing frustration at the government. I feel like I express some frustrations as well, so I'm interested to hear Father Patrick's take on that. Then Dr. Matthew Bunsen will unpack the saint of the day, Pope St. Pius X. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. Crews in Southern California are working to restore power to a few thousand customers left in the dark after their encounter with Tropical Storm Hillary. Tropical storm warning is in effect for some 42 million people as the first storm like this since 1997 buffets the region. No deaths have been reported in the southwest, but there are widespread reports of flooding and downed trees. Flood watches are in effect in Southern California, into parts of Arizona, Oregon, and Idaho. Meanwhile, officials in Los Angeles are trying to move tens of thousands of homeless people into shelters as the tropical storm approaches. Many of them have set up camps along river bends that are expected to flood as the rains drench the area. There are more than 170,000 homeless people in the state of California. Meanwhile, the governor of Hawaii says they're trying to make life livable for survivors of the Maui wildfires. More from Mark Mayfield. Speaking on CBS Face the Nation, Josh Green said a priority is making sure everyone's sheltered. Green said more than a 1,000 people are still unaccounted for, and he painted a grim picture of the recovery effort. He said 85% of the land has been covered, but searching buildings could take weeks. Green acknowledged that some remains might be impossible to recover meaningfully and that there are some people who will be lost forever. I'm Mark Mayfield. Former President Trump is confirming he will not attend the first Republican presidential debate this week. In a Truth Social post yesterday, he said the public, quote, knows who I am and what a successful presidency I had, end quote. The former president also left open the possibility that he could skip future primary debates as well. 
During his Angelus address, Pope Francis yesterday asked for prayers for the people of Niger and Ukraine. The Holy Father said he was uniting his voice to those of the bishops of Niger and appealing for peace in the country, and he prayed that the international community's efforts would lead to a peaceful solution for the good of all in Niger and the greater Sahel region in Africa. Vatican News reports the bishops of the country have expressed opposition to military intervention there. The Pope also, in his Angelus address, reiterated his prayers for Ukraine, saying, quote, Let us also pray for peace for all populations wounded by war and violence, especially for Ukraine, which has been suffering for so long, end quote. In his Angelus address catechesis yesterday, the Holy Father said, It's okay to be a bit pushy with our prayers to the Lord. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. Pope Francis posted... That is the wrong story. One moment. Here it is. The Holy Father's address recalled the day's gospel account of Jesus' encounter with a Canaanite woman who insistently and with great faith called upon Jesus to heal her daughter who was tormented by a demon. Recognizing her great faith, Jesus said, Be it done for you as you desire. And the gospel says her daughter was healed instantly. Grande la tua fede. On hearing the woman's prayer, Jesus anticipates that God's plan for salvation. Faced with her concrete case, he becomes even more sympathetic and compassionate. The Pope said that this is what God is like. He is love. The one who loves, he said, does not remain rigid in their own positions, but allows himself to be moved and touched. He knows how to change his plans. As Christians, Pope Francis said, we want to imitate Christ. The Holy Father then looked at the woman's faith and asked what it consisted in. She does not have a wealth of concepts, but of deeds, the Pope said. This, he said, is the concreteness of faith, which is not a religious label, but is a personal relationship with the Lord. This woman's faith, Pope Francis said, is with prayer. God, the Pope said, does not resist when he is prayed to. This, Pope Francis continued, is why Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In light of all this, Pope Francis said we ought to ask ourselves a few questions. We should ask, am I capable of changing my opinion? Do I know how to be understanding and compassionate, or do I remain rigid in my position? What is my faith like? Do I stop at concepts and words, or is it truly lived with prayer and deeds? Do I know how to dialogue with the Lord? Am I insistent with him? Pope Francis concluded by praying that Our Lady might make us open to what is good and concrete in the faith. I'm Christopher Wells. And a superhero is replacing a doll at the top of the box office. Blue Beetle ended the four-week reign of Barbie, but not by much. The DC superhero film debuted with an estimated $25 million, while Barbie took home an estimated $21 million in the fifth week of its release. Both films are distributed by Warner Brothers. Oppenheimer, also in its fifth week, finished third. Now, Matt, I, Mm I... I have to admit. I hope you're not going to ask me who the Blue Beetle is. I'm going to ask you who the Blue Beetle is. I don't know who the Blue Beetle is. Uh, Who's the Blue Beetle, man? Pass. Pass? Really? I, I I don't know. You don't know I don't either? know who the Blue Beetle is. Oh, okay. Well, that's I feel good like to I know. I should. I don't know. I'm, like, looking up pictures, and I, it's funny. I saw this story, and I was like... How have I never? I I don't know who the Blue Beetle is. I'm uh I'm a little out of the out of the loop. I know who Bluey is. I'm familiar with Bluey. Banned in our home. 
Bluey is banned in your home? Yeah. My kids go For, like, moral reasons or? No, because my children just go crazy. For moderation reasons. My kids go crazy when they watch Bluey. I don't know why. But they literally just go. They run wild. Plus, I think it puts unfair expectations on parents. (laughs) Okay. I've never seen Bluey. You've never watched Bluey? Oh, no. man, that dad, the dad and Bluey. I watched Blue's Clues back in the day. He'll do I don't think that had Beatles either. The the dad and Bluey, like, just plays whatever silly games the kids want to play. Like, he just goes along with it. He just does it. And I'm like, I can't, I, no. I watched Yellow Submarine back in the day. That had Beatles in it, but they were not Blue, obviously, from the title. Yeah, different kind of Beatle with an A in it. Somebody hey, who's like Good. been a lifelong Blue Beetle fan is going to be like, you guys have just insulted an entire... I didn't mean to insult. I spent my whole life with the Blue Beetle as my favorite superhero of all time. And you don't... I don't know. Oh, I'm sure there's that person out cool. there. I'm looking at pictures. Anyway. I've seen I've seen like posters and stuff. Yeah. But... Did you have a good vacation, Matt? I didn't really have a vacation. You had a vacation. I had a vacation, and it was lovely. You had a vacation, and I can't do the show by myself. That's well, what no. really happened. Yeah. Well, Paul Lockman needed a vacation, Paul too. Paul Lockman got a so vacation. He needed a vacation, too. He needed a vacation. Got a well, we are glad to be back full-staffed here on the Sunrise Morning Show. It is Monday, the 21st of August. The Sunrise Morning Show continues with a look at this week in Catholic history. Here to do that with us is Kevin Schmeezing. He is the author of A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History. Kevin, good morning. Good morning, Matt. Well, let's start things off this week by talking about the Jesuits. The death of a Jesuit missionary, Sebastian Rowe. There's a whole chapter in my book about this, Matt, but this is the condensed version. Northern New England was part of or adjacent to New France, so Jesuit missionaries were active in parts of what would become the state of Maine by the early 1600s. In the early 1700s, a French Jesuit, Sebastian Rall, who had already worked in Quebec and along the Mississippi River, came to serve the Maine mission among the Abenakis. The Abenakis were one of the more receptive tribes to the preaching of the gospel, and most of the tribe had been Christian for 40 years already by the time Father Rall arrived. As was typical of such missionaries, Father Rall was not a fair-weather minister. He lived and worked among the Abenakis, moved with them, hunted with them, learned their culture and their language, shared their joys and their sufferings. Now, in 18th century North America, religion was inseparable from politics, and Father Rall and the Abenakis got caught up in the colonial conflict between France and England. The Abenakis, who were Catholic and pastored by a French priest, aligned with France in several conflicts, including in 1724, Dummer's War, which was named after the lieutenant governor of Massachusetts. The English had already gone after Father Rall once. He managed to escape that time, but he did leave behind some belongings, including his Abenaki dictionary, which the raiding party confiscated and which eventually found its way to the Harvard University Library. It's still there today. During Dummer's War, a New England detachment, so these were descendants of the Pilgrims and Puritans, attacked the Indian village of Norridgewock. They killed 20 or 30 Abenaki warriors and also their priest, Father Rall. Accounts of his death differ. He may, he may have been fighting alongside the Indians with a musket in his hands, or he may have given himself up as a diversion while his parishioners fled. In any case, we do know that Father Sebastian Rall died at the hands of New England colonists. It was this week, August 23rd, 1724. 
Well, by condensed version, it sounds like <laughs> there are layers and layers and layers uh, of that conflict to unpack. But here's a name that uh, people might not associate with a German convent, but might be familiar with. Yeah, I didn't uh, associate it myself until just recently when I learned uh, this connection. In fact, I think it was my Catholic History Trek co-host, Scott, who turned me on to this point. Um, probably if you were a collector or otherwise into porcelain statues, you're familiar with this name, Hummel figurines, or they're often just called Hummels. That name comes from the original artist who was a Catholic nun. Berta Hummel was born in Bavaria in 1909. She attended a convent boarding school, then an arts academy in Munich. While she was studying there, she lived in a residence run by Franciscan sisters. And after graduating, she decided to join them. On August 22nd, this week in 1931, she was admitted as a novice and took the name Maria Innocencia. Her consecration to religious life didn't require her to give up her art. She taught the subject at one of the sisters' schools, and in her spare time, she painted pictures of adorable little children doing everyday things like household chores or frolicking outdoors. Her fellow sisters sent these images to a publisher. They were initially printed as postcards. A porcelain company executive came across some in a shop in Munich. He requested the rights to make porcelain figurines from them, and they soon became popular. The Nazi period just around the corner was a difficult one. Although the statues continued to be produced, Hummel's convent was persecuted. Most of the sisters ejected. Sister Maria contracted tuberculosis in 1944. She died a year after the war ended at the age of 37. But the war had one positive effect. American soldiers liberating Germany bought the figurines. They brought them home with them, and that sparked a big new market for Hummel's. Their popularity has ebbed and flowed over the years. They were especially hot in the 1970s. I remember them as a kid, but they're still popular collector's items. They're still made at the original factory in Germany, and the Sisters of St. Francis still have some involvement in their production. They're based on art by Sister Maria Hummel, who entered a convent this week in 1931. And I bet you you can find some at your local thrift shop if you look. <laughs> Actually, you could probably find some uh, listed online. Uh, some of the older collector style ones for actually probably much more than you'd have to pay at a thrift shop. But very cool history and a, a piece that I was not familiar with until, well, until we started talking this morning. Kevin Schmeezing, thank you so much. We've got your book, A Catholic Pilgrimage Through American History, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Have a wonderful day. You too, Matt. Thanks. All right, let's check on weather for the nation. The western U.S. will continue to soak today as the remnants of Hillary make their way into the northwest. In the morning, shower coverage will be greatest across southern California and Nevada, but will gradually shift toward the northwest later in the day. Flash flooding will remain a threat. A massive ridge of upper-level high pressure, pressure will sit over the central U.S., creating a heat dome, meaning hot, dry weather across the heartland and much of the east coast. A cold front will drape down into the northeast by mid-afternoon today. That'll trigger the formation of scattered showers and storms through the course of the day. As you get close to the Gulf Coast, a pop-up shower or thunderstorm is a possibility. 16 minutes past the hour, we're back with headlines right after this. For over 500 years, the church-honored spiritual exercises of St. Ignatius of Loyola have formed many saints. This treasured way of personal prayer with God is now available to you for free. 
order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com and bring Ignatian prayer to others. Lord Teach Me to Pray is approved by the USCCB. Order your free training manual at lordteachmetopray.com. That's lordteachmetopray.com. Lord Teach Me to Pray underwrites the Sunrise Morning Show. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. EWTN is everywhere. EWTN radio programming is provided free of charge to over 500 domestic and international AM and FM radio stations. It's a great teaching tool for Catholics and non-Catholics alike. For a complete list of EWTN AM and FM stations across America, visit EWTNradio.net. At the bottom of the page, click Affiliates. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. 17 past. Here's Anna with headlines. Tropical storm Hillary is bringing potentially life-threatening flooding across parts of the southwest throughout the day today. The governor of Hawaii says they're trying to make life livable for survivors of the Maui wildfires. And during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis said it's okay to be a bit pushy with our prayers. All right, Anna Mitchell. Yes, Matt Swain. I know you went to many places while you were on your vacation. Yes. Did you get to go see Solanus Casey? I got to go see blessed Solanus Casey. It was really a highlight of the trip. I mean, there were a lot of great things about the trip. We went um, to the Detroit area to, well, it was a, a threefold purpose. Have you ever been to the Henry Ford Museum, Greenfield I have Village? Not. Wonderful, wonderful place, um, particularly if you have little boys (laughs) there's like we walk into the henry ford museum and and tommy who well both of my boys really love trains but tommy especially and tommy was like this is the biggest train i've ever seen and like would not leave it um so really cool place um devoted to just american innovation in many ways um, so we we started off at there, and then Greenfield Village is kind of a um, you know walk back in time. Henry Ford collected all of these like homes and buildings, like Thomas Edison's workshop, the Wright brothers' home, etc. And it's all like in this little village that you can walk around and learn about American history. And then um, on the Holy Day, on on the Feast of the Assumption, we went to the Blessed Solanus Casey Center in Detroit. Uh, for mass and, of course, to to venerate the uh, the remains of Blessed Solanus Casey, which are interred there. And it was really cool because they have um, well, they have this whole museum set up um, 
you know, I mean, it's small, but uh, a museum dedicated to learning about the life of Blessed Solanus Casey. And um, I had read a biography of him, a very short little biography of him um, prior to going. And one of the things about Blessed Solanus Casey was that he would just sit at his desk and there would be lines of people coming up. He was called a simplex priest, so he couldn't hear confessions. Like you think about St. John Vianney and, and the lines that he would have um, for confession. Solanus Casey couldn't do that, but what he did do was sit at his desk and talk to people and gave them the, his undivided attention for as long as they needed while everybody else waited in line. And that desk was there. Um, which was so cool to be able to, I mean, like you could, you could literally sit at the desk if you wanted to, because they just had it right there in the middle of the room. Um, wow. that was particularly powerful for me. Um, and, uh, getting to see his, the, the casket that they have and like the, the wax seals over the top of it with the ribbon that they placed on it when, um, when they disinterred his body and then, you know, put it in the center and the chapel there that they have is just beautiful too so it was really awesome well out of those two i'd rather go see solanus casey than henry ford well yeah me too but it was great to do it all supplies for back to school so what do the parents get well we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee and the mystic monks of wyoming have a number of blends to choose from and when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I am Dominican Father Paul Keller, Please pray with me the prayer to St. Anthony. Blessed be God in his angels and in his saints. O holy St. Anthony, gentlest of saints, your love for God and charity for his creatures made you worthy, when on earth, to possess miraculous powers. Miracles waited on your word, which you were ever ready to speak for those in trouble or anxiety. Encouraged by this thought, I implore of you to obtain for me this request. The answer to my prayer may require a miracle. Even so, you are the saint of miracles. O gentle and loving Saint Anthony, whose heart was ever full of human sympathy, whisper my petition into the ears of the sweet infant Jesus, who loved to be folded in your arms, and the gratitude of my heart will ever be yours. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Dr. Jared Stout joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. He is author of the book, How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization, which we've been going through. Good morning, Dr. Stout. Good morning. 
it's good to have you back. And we're going to start looking at the development of doctrine in the church as it pertains to the the Eucharist. First of all, can you just explain what is meant by development of doctrine? What does that mean? Well, it's good to start with what it doesn't mean. Uh, It doesn't mean that the church kind of discovers new things over time. And you hear people saying that today. Well, the development of doctrine, so all of a sudden things that were we held to be false can now be true. No, that's not how it works. Um, so w- what it means is that our Lord has entrusted his saving truth to us. Um, and that's been something that we've treasured, um, like Mary, pondering these things in her heart. And so over time, the church has unpacked, made connections, thought more about the implications of all of the things that Jesus has entrusted to us, and and that includes the Eucharist. Um, And so some people say, for instance, that, let's say, transubstantiation, that term, which I like to translate thing-changingness, right, that (laughs) the bread and wine change into um, the body and blood of Christ, that that is a medieval doctrine. But one of the things I show in the book is that some of the earliest references to the Eucharist speak of it, and one example is St. Justin Martyr um, in the mid-2nd uh, century that speaks about transmutation of the bread and wine into the body and blood of Christ. So it's not transubstantiation, but it's pretty darn close. And so the Church does come up with terms like transubstantiation and, and other things and understanding what does it mean for you know, the substance of bread and wine to become the substance of Christ's body and blood, uh, these are theological terms, and they draw upon philosophy, and so we've fine-tuned the way that we've been able to talk about the Eucharist over time, um, but we haven't, like, discovered anything new about the Eucharist. So that's how the development of doctrine works. Right. I mean, the Church, as you point out in the book, has been celebrating the Eucharist as the body and blood of Christ since the Last Supper. That's right, and so it's the one consistent thing that you can really see about the Church, you know, uh, maybe baptism and the Eucharist being like the, these these core pillars um, of the Christian life. Can you talk about the way in the early Church that new Christians were catechized uh, about the Eucharist? Talk about how, like, when and how they learned about the Eucharist. Well, you know, the first thing that someone in the Greco-Roman world would have heard about the Eucharist is that Christians are cannibals, and they gather together in the night to, to eat flesh and to drink blood. Um, and so that was the, the kind of the rumor going around about Christians. But the, when someone wanted to learn more about the Christian faith, they would actually just start conversing with Christians that they knew, maybe that their neighbors or people they worked with. But there was something in place called the Disciplina Arcana, um, which was a kind of protective secret about the, the sacraments, all of the sacraments. And so non-Christians might know, okay, you know, that Christians do have certain rituals, they have a ritual meal, they have different initiation rites, that they pray over the sick. But the actual details of how the sacraments were performed were kept secret until the moment of initiation, right? So literally at the Easter Vigil, people did not know exactly how they were going to be baptized or what the Mass was even like. Once you became a catechumen, you could stay at the Mass through the homily. But it wasn't until you were baptized that you could even attend the full Mass. So even that second half of the Mass uh, was a secret. 
Um, and the idea here was that that the sacraments and the Eucharist were so holy that someone had to be tested and proved and, and instructed and made ready to be able to enter into the mystery of the sacraments. I mean, that sounds so wild to us nowadays, doesn't it? But but there was some real reasoning behind waiting to teach the neophytes about the sacraments after they first received them. I mean, you just started on on down that road, Dr. Stout. I mean, when you're thinking about a time of, of major persecution, you really did have to protect that. So there was the element of protection for sure. And, and you see some of the church fathers saying, we do not place our pearls before the swine, quote, mm-hmm. quoting Jesus from the Gospels. Wow. But there's another reason as well. And, and the, the word mystery actually means something that we're not even able to talk about. And there is a, a way, and I think we have really lost this sense, that the, the things that we believe and the mysteries we celebrate in the Church, the sacraments, are so holy that we, we can't just really talk about them adequately. And so there was a sense in which the formation was really ordered towards conversion and, and growth in virtue and learning the story of salvation history, but that you really had to experience this, and that the entering into the mysteries themselves and receiving that grace was essential to even then talking about uh, the mystery of the sacraments. Well, we'll leave it there for now, and we'll look forward to picking up the conversation the next time we get together. In the meantime, encourage folks to pick up a copy of How the Eucharist Can Save Civilization. It's from Tan Books, and you can find it linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. We've been talking to Dr. Jared Stout, the author. Dr. Stout, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. You bet. Always happy to have you. And, of course, you can find all of our guests linked at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's also where you can download the Sunrise Morning Show app. If you uh, like to listen to podcasts and the like, you can find all of that on our site as well. But through the Sunrise Morning Show app, you can listen on Bluetooth in your car. Take the Sunrise Morning Show wherever you're going. Right there on your smartphone. S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. Tropical storm Hillary is bringing potentially life-threatening flooding across parts of the southwest throughout the day today. At last check, the National Hurricane Center clocked Hillary's maximum sustained winds at 40 miles per hour, turning about 75 miles northeast of Bakersfield, California. In addition to heavy rainfall, Hillary also has the potential to spawn tornadoes in parts of California, Arizona, Nevada, and Utah. Kids in Los Angeles public schools are getting the day off. Trey Thomas has more. Officials in Los Angeles say classes in the second largest school district in the country will be canceled out of an abundance of caution. Hillary is currently slamming L.A. with historic rainfall, and the schools cannot be inspected after the peak of the storm overnight before classes in the morning. I'm Trey Thomas. The head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency says there are numerous possible reasons why so many are still unaccounted for from the Maui wildfires. Deanne Criswell said on CNN's State of the Union that other agencies, such as the FBI, Department of Defense, and Department of Health and Human Services, have been brought in to help account for the missing. 
Chris Well did not go into details about those unaccounted for, but did say 78% of the search has been completed. She and President Biden are scheduled to visit Hawaii today. Meanwhile, Catholic Charities Hawaii says they're working with other organizations assessing the greatest needs of those affected by the wildfires. Rob Van Tassel said in a statement, quote, we are dedicated to offering support and assistance during the initial onset and long after the event to ensure that affected communities receive the resources they need to recover and rebuild, end quote. Pope Francis on Saturday marked World Humanitarian Day, calling for a reduction of military spending in order to increase humanitarian aid. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Pope Francis posted an appeal on his ex-social media account, calling once again for the conversion of the military expenditure into humanitarian aid for the most needy. We encourage you to reduce military spending, the Pope wrote, to convert the tools of death into tools of life. Pope Francis' plea found an echo in the UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres' message for the day in which he lamented the lack of funding of humanitarian aid, the demand of which has increased ten times in two decades. As crises multiply, Gutierrez said, it is unacceptable that humanitarians are being forced to reduce aid to millions of people in need. The UN Secretary General further noted that other challenges have also multiplied over the past 20 years, including rising geopolitical tensions, a blatant disregard for international humanitarian and human rights law and deliberate assault and disinformation campaigns. Aid workers today also face much greater risks of being killed, injured or abducted. This year's Humanitarian Aid Day commemorates the 20th anniversary of the bombing attack on the UN headquarters in Baghdad, which killed 22 humanitarian aid workers, including the UN Special Representative for Iraq, Sergio Vieira de Mayo. The campaign's theme, No Matter What, underscores the unwavering commitment of humanitarians to deliver life-saving assistance to people in need, regardless of locations and risks. Saluting their courage and dedication, Gutierrez reaffirmed the UN's full support for their work across the world. I am Lisa Zingarini. Meanwhile, the Biden administration has approved sending F-16 fighter jets to Ukraine to help them fight Russian forces. Mark Mayfield has the story. A U.S. official confirmed on Thursday that the American-made planes will be sent from Denmark and the Netherlands as soon as pilot training is completed. Ukraine has been lobbying for F-16s to help fight against Russian air superiority. President Biden endorsed F-16 training programs for Ukrainian pilots back in May, with the training to be held in Denmark and Romania. It's unclear when the training program will begin. Ukrainian officials say they don't expect to use the F-16s until next year. I'm Mark Mayfield. That's the news. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. It's 35 minutes past... Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. 
click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Every Day with St. Francis de Sales. It is a difficult thing to have an exact idea of one's goal. But it is likewise true that all of us must perfectly pinpoint the virtue we are aiming to acquire. However, if we cannot do this, we must not lose courage or get upset. We must get as close to the goal as possible, because even the saints did not succeed in doing any more than that. Only our Lord and the Virgin Most Holy fully succeeded. Never believe the praises of people. At the very best, what they say is flattery, even if they do not recognize it as such. For Sacred Heart Radio, I am Father Chris Armstrong. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Patrick Briscoe, and he is with Our Sunday Visitor, uh, OurSundayVisitor.com, linked at SunriseMorningShow.com. Father Briscoe, good morning. Good morning. How are you, Matt? I'm doing well, and I'm feeling extremely ancient and old uh, because, you know, it used to be somebody would show me something from someone. I'm like, oh, is that a new musician? And then they're like, no, duh, man. It's your new bleep blop streamer from Whoopsie or whatever. I like, I don't know what anything is happening <laughs> on the internet. And so now I've been sort of forced to know uh, this situation involving the song Richmond North of Richmond. And uh, rather than me start from scratch on it, why don't you give me some backdrop? Well, what's really interesting about it is I think the way that this has taken off so, this so the song was performed, um, you know, on a on a YouTube video that went viral. It's it's just a guy singing on his guitar. You know, there are a lot of people who have suggested that he had some major connections, and that the fact that he went viral was all prearranged by some some people in the industry. And that's not true. It's just just a video from someone who uh, shares country music videos um okay so he's so he's singing this song uh the video gets posted on youtube and to date it was posted august 8th to date it has almost 30 million views which is pretty incredible you know so it just it just keeps going the song i think has captured people's hearts because it's a ballad that is able to share all of the working class frustrations so he takes all all of this extremely powerful emotion and channels it into this song, which laments greed and injustice. Um, and it has a it has a it has a political overtone that, that resonates with people um, who are frustrated with the status quo. I would say. Well, you know, as I was reading through it, it sounds a little bit like what uh, well with with 
you know, I grew up in the with Southern roots and, you know, everybody was kind of Democrats for a long time uh, because that was the party of like the people who were more working class and wanted people to stick up for them. And now that's kind of all sort of switched around and there've been some moral shifts in the political discussion that have made, you know, people go all different directions uh, on those questions. And I don't want to get too much into that, but uh, you know, whenever I read stuff like this and uh, see sentiments like this expressed, I always think about like, okay, um, I, am Catholic. That's my first and foremost allegiance. What is this saying to me <laughs> in regard to that? Uh, and you see someone talking about working all day, overtime hours, terrible pay, uh, and that there's just not a feeling that your money is going anywhere and that nobody cares. I mean, where's the church need to be here? Yeah, that's exactly right. I had this, I had the same reaction to this song, uh, seeing its important themes, not as not as political ones, but as ones that the, the church needs to listen to, uh, or at least um, the singer needs to know that the church has that the church has listened to it and bears those uh, uh, bears those cares, right? Because uh, because some of these issues, you know, as you suggested, are are issues that that resonate in uh, in the church, like some of the Catholic social teaching aspect that, that you named. But ultimately, I think because the the singer the singer is looking for meaning, the singer is looking for meaning, and I think there are so many people today uh, that 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 has resonated with. So they're 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 out there. They're looking for purpose. They feel purposeless, and that's why the song has become such a hit. Because the place where they would put their hopes, politics, has failed them. And so I so I think what we've come up on. Is the spiritual battle that has to be faced when you when you when you hit a dead end in um, in politics? Well, so thank you for the perfect setup. So the place that was supposed to help them, politics, has failed them. Well, why did politics get the get the ball on this one? Because the place that was really supposed to help <laughs> the church, right, kind of turned that stuff over. You know, every time I. I see like a social ill and see like a government program or see a politician making a promise. I mean, this is the part that frustrates me uh, is that I'm like, ah, that's like that's like our job. Like that should be us. Like, why aren't we doing this? And the fact of the matter is, is you know, a lot of times we can't because um, in pre-COVID days, the plate would go around and current days. People set up the recurring payments or drop something in the box at the back. But whatever it is, we're not. We're not doing enough uh, in our church to to be a hub of these things in our community, and so like I see these things, and I know that people are going to argue about them or not argue about them, depending on who does or does not want to debate heading into these elections. It's it's whatever. Like it's going to be another frustrating cycle. But we've had this job, like we as the church, we've had this job since the Book of Acts. Like where are we? Yeah, absolutely, and I th- I think we have to take that seriously, and that, that's why I wanted to. Write write and and talk about the song because uh, if people aren't feeling like their hearts can resonate within the church, if they're not feeling the church give them the lift that they need, uh, we we need to know that that the message isn't being heard by those who need to hear the message. Right? We have we ha- we have to address the fact that we're not communicating well with those who who need to hear what what it is that we have to give. Uh, they need the balm of the gospel. That's what this song is crying out for. And it can't be applied. Um, that it's it's missing. It's missing the pe- the message is missing the people that need it the most. Yeah. 
Well, it's not something that uh, we'd have to invent from scratch, too. I mean, we've got great precedent. I mean, we're the ones who invented, you know, the Catholic school system, the hospital system, the university system, who invented so many of these things because of our desire to meet these kinds of needs and meet them in a way that shared the gospel in the process. So it's a lot to stew upon. It's a lot, Father. So I'll let you handle it. <laughs> well, thanks. It should be a busy week. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it is a busy lifestyle uh, if we take the gospel seriously. So thank you so much. If our listeners want to read some of your thoughts on Oliver Anthony and Richmond, north of Richmond, and the whole phenomenon and uh, what it means maybe for us, the church, to think about these things, uh, how do they do so? Check it out online over at OurSundayVisitor.com. OurSundayVisitor.com. Father Briscoe, thank you as always. Have a wonderful day. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. God bless. All right, we're back with headlines and more on today's feast of Pope St. Pius X right after this. It's 16 till. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. For more than 150 years, the Comboni missionaries have served the poorest and most forgotten people. With our founder, St. Daniel Comboni, as an inspiration, we work for the full development of the human person through evangelization, education, and advocacy. Your donations make a huge impact and 95% are used to fund our many projects. Find out more at kombonimissionaries.org. That is kombonimissionaries.org. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee, and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. Wherever you are in the world, you can access the EWTN Global Catholic Network. It's everywhere. You can get EWTN's great Catholic programming on your car radio, at home on your TV, computer, or smart speaker. With EWTN's app, you can take EWTN everywhere on your phone or mobile device. If you want your news in print, turn to EWTN's paper of record, the National Catholic Register. EWTN, the Global Catholic Network. Are you constantly thinking about the past? You can share today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 14 till, here's Anna with headlines. The Archbishop of Los Angeles is calling for prayers for protection as Tropical Storm Hillary brings potentially life-threatening flooding across parts of the Southwest throughout the day today. Meanwhile, the governor of Hawaii says they're trying to make life livable for survivors of the Maui wildfires. And during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis said it's okay to be a bit pushy with our prayers to the Lord. 
Next newscast coming up in about 15 minutes from now as the Sunrise Morning Show continues here on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us again on the Sunrise Morning Show is Dr. Matthew Bunsen, Vice President and Editorial Director of EWTN News. Good morning, Doc. Good morning. Great to be with you. It is great to have you. I thought I'd give you a chance, first of all, as a a native of Hawaii to uh, offer any thoughts or um, prayers for for your homeland. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, I think uh, we definitely need to keep uh, the people of Lahaina in our prayers, people of Hawaii in our prayers. The the loss is devastating in terms of life, and we're obviously intently focused on that and keeping the families and survivors and victims in our prayers. It's also an opportunity to reflect on the the devastation that has been wrought uh, in a beautiful community like Lahaina that has uh, such a, a legacy and a history there. And uh, while it seems miraculous that the Maria Lanakila Church should survive, I think it's a reminder, too, of uh, even in the midst of this devastation, there's always going to be hope, and that the Church can play a vital role in rebuilding a community there. Are you rather familiar with the uh, community of Lahaina? Uh, I was, I've been there, definitely, yeah. yeah. Uh, it's been quite a few number of years, uh, but the, the, the beauty of the island is matched in particular by the beauty of the people. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely keeping them in our prayers, especially through the uh, intercession of St. Damien of Molokai. So today we are talking about the life and legacy of Pope St. Pius X. His feast day is Octo- October, August 21st. Now, this was a man who had truly humble beginnings. <laughs> yes, he did. Uh, to say that he had humble beginnings is uh, almost an understatement. We've been to John XXIII, who had reasonably humble beginnings. But uh, Giuseppe Melchiore Sarto uh, was born uh, not too far from Venice uh, in 1835. He not only was the oldest of eight children, but his father was a postman and his mother was a seamstress. And uh, we always hear stories about how difficult it was to grow up uh, going to school and things. Well, this is actually absolutely true. He he lived a life of, I would say, beautiful Catholic poverty in that sense uh, and intense simplicity, uh, but also one of deep, deep faith uh, to the point that uh, his schoolmates uh, recognized even from the earliest time in his life that there was something very special about this young man. He was prayerful, he was uh, exuberant in his love of the faith, and he was clearly drawn very early on to the priesthood. Yeah, and after ordination, he kind of winds through various positions in the Church, eventually becoming the Patriarch of Venice before his election to the papacy in August of 1903, the last two popes before him being Pius IX and Leo XIII. (laughs) No pressure, dude. Uh, This is really a tumultuous time in the world, isn't it? Uh, It is. Uh, We're seeing the uh, consistent rise of the isms. We had the great challenges that Pius IX faced, uh, and then the great challenges that Leo XIII faced uh, that led to the promulgation of uh, Rerum Novarum, it gives us an idea of Catholic social teaching. He w- did not really look for or expect or want to be elected Pope uh, in 1903, uh, 
But Leo XIII saw in him something really remarkable, which is one of the reasons why he seemed to pluck out of relative obscurity this uh, young bishop of Mantua and make him patriarch of Venice. And Leo supposedly thought that uh, this cardinal whom he appointed would be a very likely successor to him, and that's certainly what happened. Uh, by way of uh, tumultuousness, this was the last time in 1903 that uh, the emperor, the Holy Roman Emperor, the, the Austrian Empire, was able to exercise a veto uh, during a papal conclave. Uh, he oh, wow. demanded that his candidate, particular candidate, was going to be very, going to be very popular, be set aside. Now it's a, also a matter of some interest because Cardinal Sarto was already accumulating a large number of votes, so he was already on the radar of the cardinals who pivoted very quickly, elected him, and uh, while he seemed reluctant to become Pope, uh, after in a succession to someone as like a towering figure like Leo the Thirteenth, he embraced very quickly uh, the task of being Pope. And the motto that that oversaw him was everything he did was instaurare omnia in Christo, which meant simply to restore all things in Christ. And that really became the clarion call for the next uh, eleven years or so as he was Pope. Yeah, so how did he bring about renewal in the Church? Well, you begin with the fact that he was so profoundly holy. I mean, it does matter that uh, this was a a saint. But he went about it in a couple of different directions. The the first was to resist within the Church some of the the terrible trends that we were seeing. The, The overarching word for that is modernism. This idea that somehow Catholic teaching can change or evolve in the face of developments in social sciences, and I'm sure to many of your listeners this sounds alarmingly familiar uh, to some of the things that we're being told now. Uh, and so in fighting that, uh, he called money the synthesis of all the heresies. So internally, he fought this with every fiber of his being. But then he was also much more concerned, concerned at the same time, uh, with bringing the sort of renewal spiritually, that meant liturgical renewal, that meant also a heavy focus on the Eucharist. Uh, he was somebody who called for the frequent reception of the Eucharist, and also encouraging young people to develop a deep and abiding love for the Eucharist. And that meant, in fact, even lowering uh, the age by which children could receive uh, communion once they were deemed to be competent and, and able to understand the sacrament. He also wrote a catechism. Uh, he brought about uh, an encouragement of Thomistic thought uh, and, and Thomistic theology. He also was a very profound supporter of the Blessed Mother. Uh, he encouraged uh, Gregorian chant, and as I was saying, a variety of different liturgical reforms that really anticipated in many ways so many of the reforms that subsequently came in the 20th century under the Second Vatican Council. Was he the right man for the time? He was absolutely the right man for the time. And he did not actually have a doctorate, uh, which was unusual for his era. In fact, uh, he was uh, appointed several positions without one through dispensation, but he didn't need one. Uh, that the, Doctor did no guarantee of intelligence uh, or wisdom, and what he brought instead was a profound pastoral sense, a love of the faith, a deep understanding of the faith, and uh, a willingness to give himself completely uh, to the task of being pope. I mean, he would usually um, 
rise at about four in the morning and wouldn't go to bed until very late because he realized there was so much to do in the church. But also, uh, in dealing with the various states of the time, I think, for example, of France, uh, that, uh, well, we think of France as a, as a Catholic country. France, in fact, was uh, persecuting the Church in, in a host of different ways, including what they call the Law of Separation. So consistently throughout the world, uh, the Church was under assault, and Pius X stood up for the Church, but also helped renew the Church to prepare for the tasks that he knew were coming. Well, he died just ahead of the impending World War One of natural causes, but many believe his death was hurried along because of his worries about the war, correct? That's correct. Uh, he could see where all of this was heading, and we know that uh, he did everything he could to prevent the onset uh, that was hastening down the road of the First World War. Uh, he fell ill, actually, on the Feast of the Assumption, so the 15th of August, and by that point, uh, he knew clearly that within hours of his death, uh, war, World War I was on the way, and those concerns hastened his passing, and he was succeeded then by a brilliant diplomat, and that's uh, Pius XV. Well, Pope St. Pius X, pray for us. We've been talking to Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and you can find EWTN News linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Dr. Bunsen, thank you so much. Yeah, let's pray also and keep uh, Benedict XV in our prayers. Yes, absolutely. Amen. Amen. We got a full hour of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up for most of our affiliates here on EWTN Radio. It is Monday, the 21st of August, the feast of Pope St. Pius X. Let's pray a prayer he wrote to St. Joseph in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. O glorious St. Joseph, model of all those who are devoted to labor, obtain for me the grace to work in a spirit of penance for the expiation of my many sins, to work conscientiously, putting the call of duty above my natural inclinations, to work with thankfulness and joy, considering it an honor to employ and develop by means of labor the gifts received from God, to work with order, peace, moderation, and patience, never shrinking from weariness and trials, to work above all with purity of intention and detachment from self, keeping unceasingly before my eyes death and the account that I must give of time lost, talents unused, good omitted, and vain complacency and success, so fatal to the work of God. All for Jesus, all through Mary, all after thy example, O Patriarch St. Joseph. Such shall be my watchword in life and in death. Amen. St. Joseph, pray for us. Pope St. Pius X, pray for us. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. We are glad that you're with us here on a Monday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. And up this hour, we'll catch up with Teresa Tamio from EWTN and Ave Maria Radio's Catholic Connection. Brendan Hodge has been going through some of what uh, Dorothy L. Sayers has to say about classical education. 
We'll catch up with Bill Schmidt from Onward.net, and he's going to discuss a, a crisis of catechesis. And uh, part of it's that we're not catechizing Catholics very well and haven't for a few decades. But the other thing is, is that people are sort of being subconsciously catechized by the culture. So what does that catechesis look like? And then Stephanie Mann will discuss Blessed Thomas Percy and some mementos of his martyrdom. So stay with us if you can. Right now it is two minutes past. News of service of Central Fabricators and centralfabricators.com. Here's Anna Mitchell. Good morning. The Archbishop of Los Angeles is calling for prayers for protection as Hillary is bringing potentially life-threatening flooding across parts of the Southwest throughout today. Archbishop Jose Gomez said on Instagram, quote, May our Blessed Mother watch over and protect all of us in this storm, and may she keep us always close to her son. He said, Let's take care of one another, and may Jesus be with our public officials, emergency workers, and all those working to keep us safe, end quote. Meanwhile, President Biden says federal resources are in place to help in the response to Hillary. Mark Mayfield reports. In a statement, he noted that FEMA sent personnel and supplies to California in advance of landfall, while the Coast Guard moved aircraft to be available for search and rescue. Biden added that government agencies are working with California, Nevada, and Arizona to assist in needed areas. The president also urged people to take the storm seriously and to listen to state and local officials. Hillary made landfall Sunday over the northern Baja California Peninsula in Mexico. It could bring catastrophic and life-threatening floods to the region through Monday. I'm Mark Mayfield. The head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency says there are numerous possible reasons why so many are still unaccounted for in the Maui wildfire. Deanne Criswell said on CNN's State of the Union that other agencies such as the FBI, Department of Defense and Department of Health and Human Services have been brought in to help look for the missing. Criswell did not go into details about those unaccounted for, but did say 78 percent of the search has been completed. She and the president are scheduled to visit Hawaii today. Meanwhile, Catholic Charities Hawaii says they're working with other organizations to assess the most critical needs of those affected by the wildfires. Rob Van Tassel said, we are dedicated to offering support and assistance during the initial onset and long after the event to ensure that affected communities receive the resources they need to recover and rebuild. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis asked for prayers for the people of Niger and Ukraine. Holy Father said he was uniting his voice to those of the bishops of Niger and appealing for peace in the country and prayed that the international community's efforts would lead to a peaceful solution for the good of all in the country and in the greater Sahel region. The Pope also reiterated his prayers for Ukraine. He said, quote, and let us also pray for peace for all populations wounded by war and violence, especially for Ukraine, which has been suffering for so long, end quote. In his Angelus Address catechesis yesterday, the Pope said, it's okay to be a bit pushy with our prayers to the Lord. From Vatican Radio, Christopher Wells reports. The Holy Father's address recalled the day's gospel account of Jesus' encounter with a Canaanite woman who insistently and with great faith called upon Jesus to heal her daughter who was tormented by a demon. Recognizing her great faith, Jesus said, Be it done for you as you desire. And the gospel says her daughter was healed instantly. Grande la tua fede. 
On hearing the woman's prayer, Jesus anticipates that God's plan for salvation. Faced with her concrete case, he becomes even more sympathetic and compassionate. The Pope said that this is what God is like. He is love. The one who loves, he said, does not remain rigid in their own positions, but allows himself to be moved and touched. He knows how to change his plans. As Christians, Pope Francis said, we want to imitate Christ. The Holy Father then looked at the woman's faith and asked what it consisted in. She does not have a wealth of concepts, but of deeds, the Pope said. This, he said, is the concreteness of faith, which is not a religious label, but is a personal relationship with the Lord. This woman's faith, Pope Francis said, is with prayer. God, the Pope said, does not resist when he is prayed to. This, Pope Francis continued, is why Jesus said, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. In light of all this, Pope Francis said, we ought to ask ourselves a few questions. We should ask, am I capable of changing my opinion? Do I know how to be understanding and compassionate, or do I remain rigid in my position? What is my faith like? Do I stop at concepts and words, or is it truly lived with prayer and deeds? Do I know how to dialogue with the Lord? Am I insistent with Him? Pope Francis concluded by praying that Our Lady might make us open to what is good and concrete in the faith. I'm Christopher Wells. And his family is saying that Jimmy Carter is entering the final stage of his life. The 39th president of the United States has been deteriorating. The Carter Center announced in February that the 98-year-old former president was being placed in around-the-clock hospice care after, quote, a series of short hospital stays. So please... Keep our former president in your prayers. Well, you know, this is a time where you sort of shove politics to the side and think about mm-hmm. a human being and you say, you know what? May uh, may God be with him in these moments. And this is actually uh, probably the most – and, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I was only alive for about one year of the Carter administration, but uh, he was not shy about talking about his, his love for Christ. You know, yeah. we may disagree on – as I disagree with every politician on some level or another, but um, just praying that, you know, God uh, is with him in these final moments and his family as well. Yeah, that he perseveres in these final moments, most definitely, most definitely. Well, Teresa Tamio now joining us from Ave Maria Radio and EWTN's Catholic Connection. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Doing well, and uh, I guess it turns out that you know, sometimes we need studies to show us good common sense things like talking to your neighbors makes for better communities. But apparently, mm-hmm. apparently we got studies that show that. Is that right? Well, show that and also that it not only better communities, but better for your health, for your physical well-being and your psychological well-being. And I love this because this sounds like something my mother would say, are you kidding me? You got you to gotta do a study to figure that out. <laughs> Right. I mean, I just I love these kinds of reports because I think it's it's great. It's a nice little shot in the arm for those of us who try to reach out to others and and you know to be a witness in some way, just being kind. And it's just I, I think it's just really encouraging. So this is a poll that came out. I believe it was from Gallup on August fifteenth. I, I did a segment on my show about this last week. I got a real a kick out of it in, in a good way. The poll found that adults who regularly say hello to multiple people in the neighborhood have higher well-being than those who speak to few or no neighbors. Now, they go into this in terms of there's a, a certain amount um, of, of people, you know, and it doesn't matter how many, and they give you different scores and whatnot. But at the end of the day, basically what they're saying is reaching out to others 
is more than just a social benefit. For example, saying hello boosted much more than a person's social success, according to an analysis of the survey. Regular greetings also improved a person's physical, financial, career, and community health. And you're mentioning community. And so the reason it does that is because if you're um, more willing to to be a little bit outgoing and, and be kind to people, that you're going to probably be a person who gets out more and is interested in others, and that has a big effect overall in several other areas of your life. So I do love it when secular research backs up what we're supposed to be doing as Christians, being out there, greeting people, being kind, and saying, ciao. I love that. So I am wondering if there's been a study done on this, Teresa, in Catholic parishes. If uh, people who yeah, say that hello would be to each other really... at Mass you know, are more likely to be all those things as well. Because mm-hmm. it is amazing, <laughs> you know, how, uh, I mean, it's it's much better. Actually, I think in the post-COVID world, people have, uh, parishes have, I think, at least in my experience, done a lot more to be like, hey, we need to get, we need to get to know one another a little bit better because we just right. got like shut off from one another. But there were years in my first, you know, probably decade in the church, uh, and I came in in 2005 where I was like, is nobody... Is it like an unwritten rule that you're not even supposed to make eye contact with people at mass? I'm like, what in the world? But I bet yeah. you, I bet you that you could probably do these same metrics about like if you say hello to people at mass, then uh, you might uh, you might find all kinds of benefits from that. I don't know if I told you this, and maybe if I mentioned it on my show, or maybe it was with with Annie. I can't remember, but I, I think I brought this up. My pastor gave a great homily about uh, a month ago. He gives a lot of great homilies, but this was in particular was talking about the hospitality, and, and the, obviously it wasn't about this particular study. But he asked of the the converts, you know, coming into the church after the whole process is over, after you know the Easter vigil and whatnot. What did you enjoy the most about your training? And they said, well, the education was great. The teachers are wonderful. The information and they made me. They answered my questions. It was just a very, very instructive and affirming in my beliefs. But they said the biggest thing was the hospitality. They mm-hmm. felt so welcomed and so loved that no question was, was a bad question. They just felt that they, they were supposed to be there. They felt they belonged. And the pastor was talking about how important it is to be hospitable to people. And he was talking about the fact that that's why they've increased the number of greeters at each Mass at our parish. And we have a huge parish. We have like 4,000 families in the Archdiocese of Detroit. But every Mass you go to, there are people at the door and there are people when you leave. And it makes a real big difference in making eye contact, as you said. So it would be interesting to see a study, but I think in terms of what you're saying, on a real personal level, we've already seen it at our parish that hospitality matters. Well, it, it of course matters, and bear in mind that you got introverts and extroverts in the room, and right. some people, if you just smile at them, you're good, right? And mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> and they don't want you to get into their life and their world, right? They're, that's just not their personality type. But I, I don't know if I've ever told you about this. Uh, this is one of the most embarrassing things that's ever happened to me. Uh, but I was at a bookstore in the Cincinnati area, and uh, this has been probably eight years ago. And I'm there with my son, and we are in the children's section of the bookstore, and they have some Lego books, and we're looking at them. And I um, made some small talk with the guy who was also there with his kid doing the same thing. And I'm like, you look super familiar. Uh, have I seen you somewhere? Uh, you know, have we, like, we went down the list, and finally we realized, oh, we both go to the 9 a.m. Mass at St. James. I'm like, that is humiliating that I'm yeah. seeing this guy who I've seen every Sunday for probably the past two years. And I don't know his name. I'm only speaking to him now because we're in the Lego section of the bookstore together. Mm. And I can't figure out where I know him from. <laughs> right? Like, that's, that's a, a problem, lesson, I right? Think. 
That's a problem. Yeah. Well, I'm I'm an extrovert, so my problem is I think people run away from me because I talk. Really? Oh, here comes T. I talk to everybody. I, I'm Hide like, your oh, babies. Hi, how are you? I strike up a conversation at the grocery store line. I have conversations about whatever. I, I'm just a. My mother was like that too. I would be with my mom, and my mom be talking to somebody. I said, "Mom, you know that person? Oh no, they just seem very nice." So I started talking to them, and so I picked up that habit, and so I just naturally engage in conversation. I, I just I love people. I always have. But I don't know. Some people don't respond. They may they move pull back. And then I kind of get the message, okay, they may be an introvert. But I really think it's always worth taking that chance of being kind and just saying hello and especially smiling. I don't care where you are in the world. I travel a lot, as you guys know. But when you smile, it changes everything. Yeah, we've got a, uh, an episode coming up of the journey home here in a couple of weeks. And there was a lady who came from an AME church and, uh, you know, is now Catholic. And, and she said one of the things she wishes that, uh, you know, Catholics did a better job of is smiling when they come out of the church at the end of church. She's like, right. maybe the places that we came from were happy and clappy, but at least they were happy and at least they were clapping. Right. right. <laughs> uh, it might They might not have had the substance of the fullness of truth, but when they came out of church, they were smiling. Like, right. when you come out of church, are you smiling? Would somebody who right. drives by is like, wow, right. there's something joyful happening in there. I don't know. Yeah. Might make a difference. Yep. I'll let you put up the $75 million to, to, uh, to do okay. that study. We'll do a little fundraising campaign to get that done. There you go. I'll put Al Crest on that. Al Crest would love to raise that money and put it towards that. Absolutely. Of Radio. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you'll have more to say this about this on Catholic Connection later this morning. Teresa, have a wonderful day, and we'll be tuned in. We'll talk to you next week. God bless. Bye-bye. All right. Quarter past. We're back right after this. Support is from Solidarity HealthShare. Do you have an insurance plan that pays for everything, even things that violate your beliefs? Have you ever felt there has to be a better way, but didn't know you had any options? If you answered yes, I've got some good news for you. There is a better way and a more affordable way. Solidarity HealthShare can save you hundreds of dollars each month while actually supporting your beliefs. Because the best news is that Solidarity HealthShare costs a whole lot less than insurance. It's time to jump in and put your money where your faith is and put some money back into your wallet at the same time. Join Solidarity HealthShare, a faith-based healthcare sharing community. Prices start as low as $384 a month for families. Call to see how much you can save, 844-334-3245. That's 844-334-3245. Solidarity HealthShare, 844-334-3245. Waking up with Mystic Monk Coffee is definitely a better way to start your day. Not only are you getting a great cup of coffee, but your purchase helps support the life of the Carmelite monks of Wyoming. And your purchase can also help our work. All you need to do is go first to sonricemorningshow.com. When you click the Mystic Monk link on the side of the page, we earn a commission. Support the monks and support the Sunrise Morning Show. Click the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N-RiseMorningShow.com. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? Catholic radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. Father Wade thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. 
17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. The Archbishop of Los Angeles is calling for prayers for protection as Hillary is bringing potentially life-threatening flooding across parts of the Southwest today. The Catholic Charities of Hawaii says they're working with other organizations assessing the greatest needs of those who have survived the wildfires. And during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis said it's okay if we're sometimes a bit pushy with our prayers. Well, persistence, and actually Jesus, he uh, he actually brings that up a few different places. Mm-hmm. The idea of not just praying for something as a one and done. And of course, the, the Canaanite woman yesterday, uh, we heard the... Uh, the story of her being persistent and uh you know of course you've got the story of the impertinent widow who just widow you know goes after the judge until she gets what she wants and the neighbor who comes up in the middle of the night and keeps on knocking and you know asking until somebody gives them something so that they will go away i mean these are all interesting analogies and weird ones but they're ones given to us by the lord yep exactly (laughs) exactly and i love how pope francis pushed puts it as being a bit pushy um, because that's really what they're being. I mean, it's kind of funny. Yeah, think really, of the woman, uh, you know, who forced herself through the crowd to grab the hem of his garment. You know, mm-hmm. there's a little persistence there. Or people who who flag Jesus down and, and fight through the crowd, uh, you know, beggars and the blind, um, and sort of fight their way forward. Uh, yeah, it is, it is an interesting metaphor for, uh, you know, how, I mean, most of us don't have to fight through a crowd to you know kneel and pray mm-hmm. right uh but sometimes we have to fight through a crowd of thoughts yeah uh that's for sure and really interesting that in a lot of those stories these are are people who are outcasts in mm-hmm. in one way or another the canaanite woman of course being essentially what we would call a pagan right and um and then i think about you know the guy the all of the the various I was thinking of the man the blind man outside of of Jericho who was being very persistent and you know trying everybody's trying to like push him away from Jesus and finally you know his persistence those people who don't have anything to lose almost um, well it's always good to see yourself in the story right yeah. um, and to see yourself as the blind person uh, you know who was crying out for help or the Canaanite woman or whoever but sometimes that's not who you are in the story yeah. Sometimes you're the apostles that are trying to trying push to be like, hey, away. hey, hey, it's like let's not get a little crazy in here. Why don't you back off? Yep. You know, I mean, and that's a that's a hard point of reflection. Like, in what ways am I trying to stand between a person and the mercy of God? Yep. Through my own arrogance or pride or looking down my nose at them. Mm-hmm. The apostles don't get a good look, by the way, in some of these stories. No, no, they don't. But, but well, they, you know, they recover and. Uh, of course. Yeah. You know. They're human. Yeah. Whereas exactly. the, the Lord they serve is fully human and fully divine. It's 21 minutes past the hour. School time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. 
all available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. Hello, this is Father Mark Watkins, pastor of St. Lawrence. Pray with me now the praises of Mary by St. Anthony of Padua. The praises of Mary. Oh, how wondrous is the dignity of the glorious Virgin. She merited to become the mother of him who is the strength and beauty of the angels and the grandeur of all the saints. Mary was the seat of our sanctification, that is to say, the dwelling place of the Son who sacrificed himself for us. And I shall glorify the place where my feet have stood, the feet of the Savior signify his human nature. The place where the feet of the Savior stood was the Blessed Virgin Mary, who gave him his human nature. Today the Lord glorifies that place, since he has exalted Mary above the choirs of the angels. That is to say, the Blessed Virgin, who was the dwelling of the Savior, has been assumed bodily into heaven. Amen. It's 23 minutes past the hour, and you're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Joining us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Brendan Hodge. He is Darwin from the Darwin Catholic Blog, author of If You Can Get It from Ignatius Press, and a contributing editor to The Pillar. Good morning, Brendan. Good morning. So we've been spending a few weeks discussing an essay written by Dorothy L. Sayers about classical education. And uh, just to start us off, can you remind us of, of sort of the pillars of classical education as she lays it out? Yes. So Sayers lays out three, uh, three key subjects of classical education. Those are the medieval trivium of grammar, dialectic, sometimes called logic and rhetoric. And she talks about those as being like the three stages of both uh, learning any subject and three stages of childhood development. So these are three modes of learning that she suggests that people can use in having a more classical first education, where first you learn the grammar of a subject, sort of its building block, then you learn its logic, the way that it fits together, and then finally, you move to the rhetorical stage where you're able to express yourself in and about the subject. And these kind of line up, too, with the, the stages of development as she sees it, right? Exactly. So she sees, uh, if you think of sort of the young kid who loves to memorize facts and repeat back to you the names of dinosaurs or continents or kings of England, uh, the logical or sort of argumentative stage where kids want to know why everything is and argue about it, and then kind of the emotional or uh, poetic stage where kids want to express themselves and make other people feel what they're feeling. Love it. Okay, so let's unpack what she has to say about grammar. Now, first off, she, she recommends using an inflected language. What is an inflected language? 
So an inflected language is a language in which words themselves change in their form based on what function they're performing within the sentence. So we have a little bit of this uh, in English. Uh, if we think about words that uh, change when they're singular versus plural, so book versus books, mm -hmm. um, man versus men, but uh, we don't uh, we don't change a whole lot with our word stems in English. So if you say um, uh, John hit the ball or the ball hit John, those words, John and ball, are the same, whether they're the subject or the object of the sentence. If you say this is the ball of John, he owns it, you're using an extra helping word of in order to express possession, but the word doesn't itself change. And an inflected language is one where those do change. So the one that we Catholics are most familiar with, of course, is Latin. And so if you think about just some of the uh, prayers that you would be familiar with, so when we talk about God the Father, that is Deus Pater, but then when we say the sign of the cross and we say in nomine patris, that's in the name of the Father, so mm -hmm. name of the Father, it's possessive, and when we say Gloria Patri, that's glory to the Father, and so that's in the dative, so that word is changing, Pater, Patris, Patri, based on what form it's taking within the sentence. So it's all the same word, but the ending is changing based on what it's doing in the grammar of the sentence. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up Latin because Sayers uh, talks about this specifically. What does she have to say about Latin? So she talks about Latin as being a, uh, an outstanding language for students to learn in a classical education, uh, both because there is so much of Western culture which is in Latin, also because it is an inflected language. And she says something really interesting, I think, if for those of us who are used to a, our modern approach to education. She says that learning an uninflected language like English is much harder than learning an inflected language, and so you should actually learn the grammar of an inflected language like Latin first, formally, and then later study formal English grammar because it's so much harder. So she actually sees the, uh, the endings of the... the nouns and adjectives and verbs is kind of giving you a hint of what's going on and making the grammar much more explicit so it's easier to learn and so she actually believes that students should learn latin grammar very young and then as they get more advanced learn how those same rules apply to english because they will have already picked up kind of idiomatically how you speak english just by being around their parents and teachers so it's not like they won't be able to speak english in the meantime but that grammar is just more challenging to learn when you have to learn it entirely through place and, uh, and other kids in a language like English. That's such a good point. I want to read this quote from her that you have, um, that you pulled from the essay over at, at Darwin Catholic, darwincatholic.blogspot.com, if uh, listeners want to go read your full piece on this. Uh, she writes, I will say at once quite firmly that the best grounding for education is the Latin grammar. I say this not because Latin is traditional and medieval, but simply because even a rudimentary knowledge of Latin cuts down the labor and pains of learning almost any other subject by at least 50%. Now, Brendan, I know you've done some thinking about this. Why do you think that she thinks this? Brendan? Hello? Did we lose you? I'm sorry, yes. It sounds like we got cut off there. Oh, interesting. Okay, well... 
I'll just, what well, we only have a few seconds left now, but um, just in a couple of sentences, why would you say, I know you did a lot of thinking about this, that, that she's right about um, her thoughts on Latin being the best to teach to young kids? Well, I think that it both provides a connection with our, our history. So, I mean, we know that as Catholics through prayers uh, that we use and also through the, the great Latin writings of the Church. And then also it does provide that understanding of how formal grammar works with an inflected language. Yeah. Absolutely. I encourage folks to go over to darwincatholic.blogspot.com so that you can read more of Brendan's thoughts on the matter. Darwincatholic.blogspot.com, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Brendan, thank you so much. Thank you. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The Archbishop of Los Angeles is calling for prayers for protection as Hillary is bringing potentially life-threatening flooding across the Southwest throughout the day today. Archbishop Jose Gomez said on Instagram, quote, May our Blessed Mother watch over and protect all of us in this storm and may she keep us always close to her son. He said, Let's take care of one another, and may Jesus be with our public officials, emergency workers, and all those working to keep us safe, end quote. Meanwhile, the National Hurricane Center has now downgraded what had been a tropical storm to a post-tropical cyclone, but is still expected to bring heavy rainfall to the southwest. At last check, Hillary's maximum sustained winds had fallen to 35 miles per hour, the storm system is on the move several hundred miles north of San Diego, passing through central Nevada at roughly 29 miles per hour. At the rate it's going, Hillary is forecast to lose steam and dissipate before the end of the day. Officials in Los Angeles, though, have been trying to move tens of thousands of homeless people into shelters as Hillary was approaching. Many of them had set up camps along riverbends that are expected to flood as rain drenches the area. There are more than 170,000 homeless people in the state of California. The governor of Hawaii says they are trying to make life livable for survivors of the Maui wildfires. More from Mark Mayfield. Speaking on CBS Face the Nation, Josh Green said a priority is making sure everyone's sheltered. Green said more than 1,000 people are still unaccounted for, and he painted a grim picture of the recovery effort. He said 85% of the land has been covered, but searching buildings could take weeks. Green acknowledged that some remains might be impossible to recover meaningfully and that there are some people who will be lost forever. I'm Mark Mayfield. Catholic Charities Hawaii says they've been working with other organizations assessing the greatest needs of those affected by the wildfires. Rob Van Tassel said, quote, we are dedicated to offering support and assistance during the initial onset and long after the event to ensure that affected communities receive the resources they need to recover and rebuild, end quote. Pope Francis on Saturday marked World Humanitarian Day, calling for a reduction of military spending in order to increase humanitarian aid. From Vatican Radio, Lisa Zingarini reports. Pope Francis posted an appeal on his ex-social media account, calling once again for the conversion of the military expenditure into humanitarian aid for the most needy. 
We encourage you to reduce military spending, the Pope wrote, to convert the tools of death into tools of life. Pope Francis' plea found an echo in the UN Secretary-General Antonio Guterres' message for the day in which he lamented the lack of funding of humanitarian aid, the demand of which has increased ten times in two decades. As crises multiply, Gutierrez said it is unacceptable that humanitarians are being forced to reduce aid to millions of people in need. The UN Secretary-General further noted that other challenges have also multiplied over the past 20 years, including rising geopolitical tensions, a blatant disregard for international humanitarian and human rights law and deliberate assault and disinformation campaigns. Aid workers today also face much greater risks of being killed, injured or abducted. This year's Humanitarian Aid Day commemorates the 20th anniversary of the bombing attack on the UN headquarters in Baghdad, which killed 22 humanitarian aid workers, including the UN Special Representative for Iraq, Sergio Vieira de Mello. The campaign's theme, No Matter What, underscores the unwavering commitment of humanitarians to deliver life-saving assistance to people in need, regardless of locations and risks. Saluting their courage and dedication, Gutierrez reaffirmed the UN's full support for their work across the world. I am Lisa Zengarini. During his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis asked for prayers for the people of Niger and Ukraine, saying he was uniting his voice to those of the bishops of Niger and appealing for peace in the country. That's the news. It's 35. This past year has been a crazy roller coaster ride, but you have the power to get your business back on track by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Weekday mornings, your message will reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners across the U.S. and around the globe who want to know more about and support Catholic businesses and organizations. To get national exposure for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. The kids got new supplies for back to school, so what do the parents get? Well, we suggest treating yourself to some good coffee and the Mystic Monks of Wyoming have a number of blends to choose from. And when you link to the Mystic Monk Coffee site through our site, sonrisemorningshow.com, we earn a commission on whatever you buy. You can also treat yourself to a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and a water bottle for your kid in our online store. Check out our store and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sunrisemorningshow.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, Can we resist the grace of God? We can, and unfortunately, often do resist the grace of God. For those who have a strong belief and knowledge of God's all-powerful will, it can seem, with a theological difficulty, that we can't resist God's grace. For how can we resist what is all-powerful? And yet, when we consider all the gifts that God has given us and that we have not put to use, like a child who has unwrapped gifts, we can recognize that grace is, and unfortunately, often resisted by us. And so to accept God's grace, we need to continually open ourselves to that acceptance so that it might come within us and transform us, that grace might be, for us, given in the sacraments and received and now actualized through our very life. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan.
The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Bill Schmidt from Onward.net. That's O-N-W-O-R-D.net. Bill, good morning. Hey, Matt. Good to talk with you. So you have a rather lengthy lengthy piece that you did on uh, Substack and have also put on your blog, trying to wrap our minds a little bit around some of the cultural discourse and, and specifically some of the you know, sort of violence and frustration uh, that kind of comes out in the world reflecting what it is that we're watching. I, I wonder kind of what got you thinking about this and, and what your sort of initial sense of the problem was. Well, I guess I've been aware of the dangers of uh, popular culture and the nature of TV and all back when I was teaching a, uh, an introductory course on communications. I remembered seeing a PBS documentary back in 1995 about the dangers of TV because kids, before they're out of elementary school, they see 8,000 uh, murders or acts of violence. And I, I was uh, thinking today about how, gee whiz, uh, if that was a problem back then, we've got video games, social media, artificial reality, and all of these things just swamping people and immersing people. And uh, uh, we knew it back then uh, with TV, that it's it's an artificial kind of catechesis. And uh, in such a changing world and with our institutions, including the Church, kind of weakened these days, we're not offering any alternative catechesis, or at least not as much as that powerful entertainment uh, industry is offering. Well, it is interesting uh, and you point this out in your your article. Well, I mean, it, well, first of all, eight thousand uh, on screen deaths before you leave elementary school. There are probably some kids who killed eight thousand things on a video game this weekend. <laughs> right? Exactly. It's, it's, really it's the numbers are so far. radically inflated, and you know we see we have like this weird sort of uh, you know sort of split personality, as it were, when it comes to these things. Because you've got all these shows that are like popular vigilante justice kinds of shows, while at the yeah. same time, like, what's one of the worst things that you can do in actual real life, which is take the law into your own hands, right? And we see right. that with, like, really horrible, tragic consequences. Uh, you know, we see these people who've got this mission, this passion, this, you know, desire for vengeance, and they take it out on television, we're like, that's amazing. And then somebody actually does it, and we're like, whoa. That's horrible. Right. <laughs> That's right. We we can't have it uh, both ways. We can't come out of the theater having seen uh, a superhero uh, take uh, uh, the law into his own hand with uh, great violence and uh, visual thrills and all of the uh, charisma that uh, his brand or her brand offers, and then be uh, 100% people of peace uh, when we come out into the world. You know, you've uh, you, you've hit this on a number of levels in your article. I encourage people to go check it out. It's called "Full of Sound and Fury, Signifying Numbing" from Onward.net. And you you mentioned something in here too that I think uh, we it has more to do almost with the medium than it does with the message. Although McLuhan would say you can't take those two things apart. Uh, I think right. you know one of the aspects of frustration in the culture and and one of the things that explains things like you know, the rise of cryptocurrencies or people trying to flip houses or all this is you, 
you you train yourself to see problems proposed and resolved in a 30 minute episode or a 22 minute episode, right? Or one right. thing. And if you, uh, if you don't see it that well, you can binge watch the whole season in a weekend and you can see it solved <laughs> in the course of a weekend. And then you right. go to the real world and you figure out that you've got to, that life does not consist of that sort of quick, easy solution. And, and I just think it, it, it leads to this overarching frustration at the way things are. That's right. And our whole society is built and, uh, uh, many of our government structures, for instance, are built on the idea of, well, let's be rational, critical thinking, uh, uh, basically peace-loving human beings and sort this out, take one step at a time. Uh, and that's embodied in the justice system, for instance. But now we're seeing uh, what's called lawfare, where, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's almost like uh, storming, storming the gates with uh, uh, law, that's our way of being a superhero, at least in some cases now. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of ways this all kind of plays out. Um, how we're we're being offered, well, as you put it in your article, a, a sort of an alternative catechesis, <laughs> right? By these yes. things that we're absorbing. But what's the church have to say about this kind of thing? Oh well, uh, I I was thinking about how you know the church used to be. Uh, in um, in our old school uh, diocesan newspapers and everything, um, a voice out there all the time uh, noticing uh, the uh, films and other popular media. And, you know, I think uh, even though it might be counterintuitive, because, of course, we want our uh, priests and uh, members of the pews to be talking about uh, life's real uh, problems, but because we're so immersed in popular culture, I'd love to see the church uh, talk more about uh, some of the things we're seeing uh, in all of the different media, some of the things we're doing in all of the media, because these are today's parables in some ways that the entertainers are, are handing us. And the church has a very valid, very necessary counter-interpretation of these parables, and I think it would stick in the ears of uh, perhaps especially young people, but all of us. We want to we want to see more uh, how the story ends. So much of the catechesis of the, today's world is a kind of ever-changing catechesis, catechesis, with um, you know we're we're kind of changing reality as we go along. People want an anchor, and I, uh, the Catholic Church can show both through comments on real life and comments on popular culture, uh, that's not quite the way to do it. And do we see what we're doing to ourselves through all of this immersion? Yeah, I mean, it is sort of the air that you breathe uh, after a certain right. point. Um, yes. And it, that, that air that you breathe uh, question, I mean, I think helps to us to understand why, well, why catechesis you know, has has sort of entered a crisis period over the past half century or so once, you know, the Catholic parish community life stopped being there that everybody breathed. Now you got to right. you got to do it in a classroom, right, because you're not getting it in every kind of aspect of the neighborhood life. Uh, but you've you you touch on this idea of mimetic desire and Rene Girard, and there's no way to get into the depths that Girard gets on this question. But I feel like it helps us understand uh, the effect that you know, the soup that you're, you're in has on you. I wonder if you could, like, do a, the 50,000-foot summary of what that concept is. 
Oh, yeah, I was fascinated to learn more about uh, Gerard and uh, his term, um, mimetic desire, which I guess is the origin of our very common term, memes, today. And basic, uh, the quote from him is, man is the creature who does not know what to desire, and he turns to others in order to make up his mind. And it's just very natural instinct. We copy, every, we copy everything from a person's yawn. We feel like we're going to yawn then. But it's a whole lot deeper than that, and it really is the way uh, we interact with each other to some degree, and we have to make sure that we're interjecting our own critical thinking and our own values of ultimate goals uh, into just being copycats. That will never do. Well, I, I see it all the time. I see it in myself, right? Uh, I know what yeah, the church us, teaches. Right. Yeah, and I know uh, what the right reaction is, but then somebody identifies some sort of like thing that connects with the frustration I have. I'm like, yeah, that's the way to go. And then I'm like, actually, that's <laughs> against what the church teaches, so maybe that's not the yes. way to go. Maybe that's yes. not the way to go. Well, we've got onward.net linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. I encourage people to go check out uh, your thoughts and maybe uh, dip the toe in the Rene Girard waters there. That's uh, Bill right. Schmidt from yes. Onward, thanks so much. Have a wonderful day. Oh, likewise to you. Thanks very much. All right, back right after this with headlines. It's 14 minutes before the hour. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Are you looking for peace? Longing for joy? Want to meet the giver of all goodness? God is calling the laity to bring Ignatian prayer into a suffering world. Work for the new evangelization. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. Order your free digital training and manual. Find true happiness and everlasting joy. Go to lordteachmetopray.com. And click on the red button today. It's free. Approved by the USCCB. It's back to school time and back to a busier morning routine. If you're going to need some help to get going, get yourself a few bags of Mystic Monk coffee. And when you go to the Mystic Monk site through the link you find at sunrisemorningshow.com, you'll give us a boost with a commission on your purchase. While you're at our site, pick up a Sunrise Morning Show mug or travel mug and perhaps a water bottle for your student. All available in our online store. Find our store and link to Mystic Monk coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. Now there's a fast and easy way to get in touch with EWTN. The EWTN Everything Number. Call 1-800-447-EWTN to get the latest information on programming, special events, pilgrimages, and more. You can even make a donation. Our EWTN Family Viewer Services representatives are ready to help you with whatever your needs may be. The EWTN Everything Number. 1-800-447-EWTN. EWTN. Are you constantly thinking about the past? You can share today on Take Two with Jerry and Debbie on most of these EWTN stations. And now back to the Sunrise Morning Show. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. The Archbishop of Los Angeles is calling for prayers 
for protection as Hillary brings potentially life-threatening flooding across parts of the Southwest today. Catholic Charities Hawaii says they're working with other organizations assessing the critical needs of those who have survived the Hawaii wildfires. And during his Angelus address yesterday, Pope Francis asked for prayers for the people of Niger and again for the people of Ukraine. You can hear news at the top and bottom of each hour right here on the Sunrise Morning Show. Stephanie Mann back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show. Go read her blog over at supremacyandsurvival.blogspot.com. It's named after her book. Good morning, Stephanie. Good morning, Anna. It is good, good to, to talk have to you, you again. Yes, good to talk to you. And we are continuing yes. our journey through Father Henry Sebastian Bowden's Mementos of the English Martyrs and Confessors, available through Sophia Institute Press. And today we're talking about Blessed Thomas Percy, who by my count, gets four entries in this book, but not to be confused with his father, who is also Thomas Percy, who gets an entry earlier in the book, uh, because he's famous in his own right, is he not? Yes, he is. Thomas Percy's father, Thomas Percy, was uh, (laughs) one of those who led the Pilgrimage of Grace during the reign of Henry VIII, trying to save the monasteries, which were in the process of being suppressed and dissolved during Henry VIII's reign. He's not considered a martyr, per se, even though he was fighting for the church, because he... It was maybe more political or... or Anyway, he just hasn't been considered a martyr by the church, but his Hmm. son has been beatified as a martyr because in his... Two reigns later, during the reign of Elizabeth I, he not only tried to stop the spread of, or, or the to to pr- protect Catholicism and protect uh, the Catholics, <clears throat> excuse me, practicing their faith, but also he actually had the chance to renounce his faith, which his father did not have. So mm. that's kind of the reason the father's not a saint, but but the uh, son is has been beatified as therefore saint in heaven. Yeah, so let's talk more about the life of of Blessed Thomas sure. Percy. So his he was just a kid when when his dad died and yes. I mean as he he grows yes. up, he maintains a a good degree of civility under the reign of Elizabeth I, right? Y- yes, he he's well of course he's a, you know, he's in the extreme north of England. And therefore, in the Yorkshire and in, in that area, Northumberland, etc. And so Elizabeth and her counselors re- rely on someone like him, a man of, of wealth and, and uh, authority, to maintain her laws in some ways and, and to maintain order. So, yes, he's given many, uh, he's given much approval for her at the beginning of her reign. But then comes the time when she is beginning the beginning of the suppression of Catholicism, uh, outlawing the mass, making it illegal to attend mass and, and say that you're going to be fined if you don't attend mass. Uh, I mean, attend the, the Anglican church, uh, services. So he then is turning more and more toward thinking there's going to have to be an overthrow of Elizabeth the first. And therefore he becomes a rebel against her in the same way that his father was a rebel against Henry VIII. But the difference is again, that when he is captured and, and taken uh, finally and, and held in prison, held in a castle in Scotland for three years, he continues to practice his faith and will not be moved away from that. And, and therefore 
he is uh even in the midst of his imprisonment, he's still defending the faith and, and standing up for it. Absolutely. Talk more about what, what Father Bowden has to say about his imprisonment. Right. Yes. Well, Father Bowden, I always think it's interesting to look at the title that he chooses and mm-hmm. the verse that he, from the scripture that he, he chooses. So he is, he, he has this, uh, the title is that uh, Friday abstinence. So, you know, that's going to be key to the long-standing tradition of Catholics abstaining from meat or doing some kind of now doing some kind of other penance on every Friday not just those in Lent and then his the verse he takes is from the second book of Maccabees uh, describing Eleazar one of the chief of the scribes who was pressed to open his mouth to eat swine's flesh but he choosing rather a more more glorious death than a hateful life went forward voluntarily to the torment. Mm. So this is in the midst of the Maccabean Wars and the persecution of the Jews. Eleazar is told to eat pork. He will not, and therefore he's taken off to be martyred. And the parallel that Father Bowden is suggesting and highlighting is that while he's in prison, uh, Sir Thomas Percy will not uh, eat meat on Fridays. It's presented to him, and that's all that's served to him on Fridays, but he won't eat it. Uh, he continues to maintain his devotions and prayers. He's they, he's being held by a Calvinist uh, member of the royal family and in, in, uh, noble families in, in Scotland, and so Calvinists come to his uh, cell in, in the Lucklevin castle and try to argue with him and try to convince him to change his faith and become a Calvinist, and he holds firm. So that's the the, the pattern that, that Father Bowden is trying to emphasize. Is he maintains his Catholic devotions, he maintains his Catholic faith, and he continues to argue it and resist the temptation to save his life by simply going to a Church of England or a Kirk of Scotland uh, church service. He maintains his faith. Yeah, in spite of the fact, I mean, it says at the beginning of of this passage um, that he was torn from his friends and followers and from his wife and his four little girls. I mean, he had this family at home that he could have very easily been released by going to one of these uh, one of these uh, services. And and yet his his mm-hmm. fortitude in this and and his his continued fasting even in prison um, brought about more conversions. Yes, and and also it, it brought him to uh, again practice his faith so clearly that that uh, his everyone remarked upon it that he was a brave and, and good man in this way. It, I think also as we're talking about and as you as we emphasize that reminds me a lot of Saint, Sir F- Saint Philip Howard who also in prison yeah. maintained his during Elizabeth the first reign maintained his devotions and was tempted in the same way you know he said he wanted to see his his uh, uh, youngest his new baby boy and Elizabeth said well of course you can see him all you have to do is to, to say that you'll become an Anglican and, and everything will be fine and yet the same thing that in the same way Sir, Sir Thomas Percy maintained this faith and would yes. never uh, go away as he says he would never depart from the smallest matter from the communion of the Catholic Church eventually he was uh, beheaded on August 22nd tomorrow, which would be tomorrow in, in, in 1572 Blessed Thomas Percy, pray for us. Stephanie Mann, thank you so much. 
EWTN. We'll talk to you tomorrow. God bless you. Family.